Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with Dr. Sonia Jensen and myself. Where in this podcast we dive into all things related to hormones and relationships and health span and mental health and all the things that, that show up in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great way to have a conversation around like even for us, like what things are impacting our relationship and how we can support others through our example. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you're enjoying some of the banter, uh, the hard time that Sonia gives me from time to time on the podcast, or just like the, the, the challenges that show up uh, in, in your own life and you can see it through the discussions that we have, please continue uh, supporting this channel. We, we keep supporting you with this information. We hope that you're enjoying it. So please uh, subscribe and stay uh, up to date on all the latest information that we're sharing. So in, in this conversation, we're continuing on this journey of testosterone and understanding the relationship to how it affects our health, our, our mental health, our, our mind. And, and I kind of want to start this conversation really talking about your book. Okay. Because your, your book really describes this really beautiful relationship between our hormonal system and our mental health mm-hmm. and how that plays out on a regular basis. So, you know, what do you see in your patient practice with regards to why this makes such a big difference when, when you start to really address things from your history mm-hmm. uh, and how it relates to your hormones? Yeah, I think it's everything, like how we lived through our past or what we had to do in order to survive it. And this doesn't have to be like big traumas. It could even be the the micro moments that started to kind of shape our behavior, our personality, and then our identity and just how the brain had to operate in order for us to just move through our day or move through life. And so when we start to understand that, we start to see most of us have actually grown up living in a state of stress. And whether that's, you know, you witnessed trauma or you experienced it or maybe you were like a type A personality because you had to be in order for your parents to be proud of you. Like there could have been so many different scenarios that kind of shaped how your nervous system functioned and then that shaped how your hormones responded. So then you go through puberty, you go through life with these like transition states that show up in a state of imbalance because your whole system is wired for you to just survive instead of thrive. Yeah, exactly. And then that plays a role on, on obviously how our hormones are expressing themselves. And yeah. when we're constantly in that state of survival versus thriving, all sorts of wacky things can show up for people. And, mm-hmm. and I think this is basically be, lends towards that journey of if things in that's, or things are getting bad enough as far as the, the symptoms, but also that support network really isn't there or you're not feeling safe to, to communicate this, really that, that becomes a snowball effect towards medication and, mm-hmm. and the use of antidepressants. So we really wanted to shape this kind of conversation around understanding the history yeah. and how much that correlates with hormonal expression but then, you know, as a result of not having the right tools to access or the right understanding, it often leads us into this, you know, downward spiral to, to mental health. And we think that everything's happening to us just purely from a psychological, emotional yeah. point of view. And we haven't really connected the dots between our story 
in our hormonal system and how we show up on a daily basis. Yeah, because everything gets compartmentalized. It's like you go to your endocrinologist for this, you go yeah. to go gastroenterologist for this, you go to a psychologist for this, but there has to be integration of all those systems and there's such a lack of understanding, especially with the hormones of like when they're changing, going up and down, they're just reacting to the environment like we've been talking about on the podcast. But when it comes to mental health, it's like a real, it's a chicken egg thing. Mm -hmm. So like, was it the hormones in that stress state that caused that pattern? Or was there already a pattern there with the neuro nervous system and neurotransmitters that then the hormones are responding to? So like understanding the dance between the two systems can be really helpful to understanding our own states that we may step into daily. Yeah, and not that we have to dive a huge uh, degree into the gut brain, but we know that typically when we're in these states or maybe even early childhood, we weren't you know, nourished in the way that we needed to, not because your parents didn't care, but because they maybe just didn't have the, the right information. Yeah. Even just from you know, whether someone was nursed yeah. or versus bottle fed, yeah. You know, all of these things impact that whole gut-brain connection and that f even even fetal development, which you yeah. talk about, and then into the birth and then into food introduction. Yeah. There's so much of our microbiome, but a whole gut-brain neurotransmitter communication system that gets set up just in those early stages of life. Mm -hmm. And then we're kind of fighting against that and we're making choices with our food that are more reactive as opposed to more from this place of nourishing. Yeah. Do you want to speak to a little bit about, you know, that gut-brain connection? Yeah, so we know that our happy hormones that we've talked about before, like serotonin, for example, gets produced in the gut. So if your gut's constantly having to combat inflammation or, you know, you've probably heard the term leaky gut and you're not absorbing nutrients or you're not feeding the, that neurotransmitter what it needs and the microbiome's not responding how it should in order to create serotonin, we don't ha really have anything left over then for it to reach the brain for us to actually access that feeling of happiness. And so depression, anxiety, like a lot of these states are linked with inflamed guts. Like I don't think you'll ever come across anyone that has mm -hmm. some sort of mental health challenge that also doesn't have some sort of gut challenge too. Yeah, absolutely. And really just we wanted to connect the dots to these different stories. And yeah, and it's it's becoming more and more clear too that the mental health disorders as historically been have been claimed to be a neurotransmitter deficiency. Right. Really it's so much more complicated than that. They're like they're on the scene, but they're not, you know, you mentioned the chicken and the egg. They're on the scene, but they're not necessarily the cause. Yeah, like right. they're not maybe um, attaching to the receptor or the cells are inflamed or like there's so many things exactly. that are impacting it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's wanted to invite you into a more holistic, more inclusive way of looking at things and how that correlates with, you know, the hormones, the gut brain, the early childhood exposure to stressors, uh, which you mentioned at the beginning, to food introduction. Like there's so yeah. many things that, that play a role here, right? Yeah. This weekend I was with a psychologist and she was um, at just like a medical clinic in California and she was saying finally they're bringing in those ACEs scores, like mm. reverse childhood events. and talking about and actually asking and she said this one practitioner a nurse practitioner was like you know because what happened to you as a child does impact how your body's feeling now and she was just so like impressed that like finally there's this conversation around like those years really do shape our physical form and how we react to life today as an adult yeah definitely and then and then to take it a step further neurologically speaking you know, what we repeat once in a while, you know, might have a small impact, but what's repeated every day, yeah. 
has a tremendous impact on the wiring. So it's really easy to see how we move into habit with our behaviors, yeah. whether it be the food choices we make to the emotional outbursts that we you know, participate in to whatever it might be. There's a neurological, you know, component to just the wiring of how we're built. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like how we walk, we walk the same way typically every day, unless we were taught to walk differently. And we still yeah. slowly start to change the, the expression of how our nerves are, yeah. are working together. Yeah. And I feel like some of the negative patterns, um, they're locked in so much more quickly. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my experience. Like it takes more work to yeah. like undo those almost easier. Like on the weekend we were, I was with a group of friends and I was speaking to my own state that it's easier for me to tap into depression and sadness yeah. because it's so familiar. Whereas like happiness and everything else is so much more work. Like yeah. even getting ready for this podcast, like I'm now used to having a bit of a tantrum <laughs> about having to record when really it's fine. Yeah, well, totally. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because I think part of that wiring and, and how those nerves are fed, I'm just I'm picturing Mindy, our, our friend, like speaking to your neurons. So she was telling me a story about her weekend and how uh, there was this uh, uh, meditative sort of visualization of, of encouraging the neurons to grow into a more positive way. Um, but, but again, like it's this discussion around our emotional traumas really mm -hmm. feed and fertilize the neurons to, to wire in a particular kind of way to move us out of our prefrontal cortex, the higher functioning brain, into our more limbic, emotional brain so that we're wired for that. Mm -hmm. And so like... <laughs> If you're feeling stressed about a podcast or whatever, it's kind of like going into, well, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to because, I, you know, I'd rather do something more relaxing. Mm -hmm. But it's important, it's important we talk about this because this really correlates with that understanding of, of testosterone even. So if, if in the neurotransmitter world, the, the connection piece is really dopamine. It's this mm -hmm. anticipation of reward. It's doing the hard thing, knowing that you might not get the reward in this moment, but yeah. maybe a week, a two, three, four later, like we're... We're really, if we're supporting our hormones and neurotransmitters appropriately, we're trying to bypass or not bypass. We're trying to circumvent this need for immediate reward. Yeah. And if we can really support that system uh, from an emotional point of view, but obviously a neurotransmitter, food point of view, a gut yeah. brain point of view, that's really where we want to move this conversation of, of really appreciating testosterone and its relation to uh, mm -hmm. neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So any thoughts on that as far as like it needing immediate reward? Well, I just think that's the state of the world today. Yeah. It's like immediate information. It's like at our fingertips. Yeah. Um, everything like we've talked about that Amazon before. Yeah. You know, so when we want something, we want it in this moment. We even talked about it in our fertility conversation that as soon as, you know, there's even a desire to get pregnant, it's like we want it right away. Yeah. And so patience is something that I think has to be now, like we have to take time to actually exercise that patience yeah. muscle. I think before it was easier. I think this generation is going to have an even more challenging time accessing dopamine the appropriate way because they're used to accessing it so quickly and then it burning out mm -hmm. but i think for maybe our generation it was a bit easier because we were before internet we were before all these things i could sit in my room and stare at the wall and imagine mm -hmm. whereas kids today don't really get that opportunity because yeah. of the busyness yeah it's almost like and it's not they don't like the feeling of boredom yeah to such a, a greater boredom. degree yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> well and talk about that in relation to your your teaching on pause yeah like that's your whole you know that's one yeah. of the key things you teach people yeah, I mean, and it really stood out when I heard it from that Victor Frankl. Um, mm, yeah, mentor for meaning. Yeah, about just that's where freedom lies, is right. in between the stimulus and the response. And so, if what we can be patient enough to 
be able to access that pause in between something happening, feeling triggered, to us then reacting. So whether that reaction is sadness or anxiety or, or you know, having certain emotions like anger, rage, whatever it might be, being able to pause, we get to then breathe in that pause, we get to reflect in that pause, we get to understand this feeling that I'm giving meaning to right now, is it actually about this moment or is it from a moment from the past? And that can happen very quickly once you start exercising that muscle and it doesn't happen perfectly all the time, even when you're exercising it, but at least you know you do have the capacity to be in control mm -hmm. because it's the loss of control that I think makes us feel like we can't get better or this is how it's going to always be and that's when we feel stuck. Totally. And, and I, I think really developing that as like an avatar for, for people to appreciate and, and, and be in reference to, you know, these are common things that we see from our patients. It's like feel less than, feel yeah. unmotivated, not feeling confident, not feeling that vitality, not feeling even maybe worthy enough to, to look for that delayed reward. Yeah. You know, finding a way to you know, distract ourselves from the delayed reward so that we can also communicate to that part of our brain is like, no, you really need this now. You really yeah. need that hit of sugar right now. You really need that extra, you know, glass of wine at nighttime, whatever it is for, for us. And I think, you know, hopefully the conversation really here around appreciating mental health and its relationship to your hormones is that there's so much in building resilience through, you know, pausing, mm -hmm. through, you know, looking at things from different angles, but also like nourishing that hormonal base so that we're more likely to feel that state of resilience and not, you know, just move into complacency and look for the quick reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and so one of the things like this, this theme of like being stagnant and complacent, one of the best things to do when we're stuck there emotionally is to move our bodies physically. Yeah. So, you know, this next part of the conversation, just really, you know, painting the picture of often we feel like we have to sort of fight the state that we're in with a new mental emotional state like you know don't be this way okay well <laughs> like that might work for a little bit but maybe you need to engage a different part of your system to access that part of you more easily hopefully that's making sense yeah and like it's instead through of if you're sad just saying okay i just gotta practice being happy like yeah, that's not exactly. necessarily going to shift in that moment yeah yeah and so the the invite is to okay well if if stagnant and depression and like feeling you know internal and withdrawn and, and whatnot is the emotional state using your physical body as a vehicle to actually access you know um, joy happiness your hormones your neurotransmitters a different kind of way yeah. You know, so this is where inviting movement in. Yeah. And, and for some people, maybe it starts with just a walk, but yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even when you were describing it, for those of you that aren't watching and, and just listening, when he was saying sadness and some of these other lower kind of vibration, I guess you can call them emotions, your shoulders were starting to come in. Yeah. Like our posture changes when we're in a certain state. So when we start to move the body and change the posture, we're rewiring things in the brain and those neurons too, to be like, okay, when I'm feeling confident, when I'm feeling motivated, I'm probably going to sit differently. I'm probably going to sit up a little bit taller or walk a little bit differently. But when I'm feeling more internal and sad and maybe wanting to protect myself, I might be like hunching over and yeah. shoulders are coming in to protect the heart. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. So, um, you know, what, what do you see clinically when, when people are, are stuck? Uh, what is their willingness in general to go and exercise? Like, I, I feel yeah. like we're really good at making excuses not to. Yeah. But, like, 
what are some mechanisms or some tools maybe that, that help to pe people just to feel a different state? Because that's all we're asking is, yeah. is like you have an opportunity to actually feel a different state in your body, which then leads to new choices, yeah. right? Well, first, I think it's identifying the obstacles. And the biggest one for many women that I see ends up being time. Mm -hmm. So time and then, you know, the fatigue. So I can't even get out of bed. Like those extra five minutes is something that I need or whatever it might be. So then it's like, well, how do we incorporate or habit stack is what I'll start talking about. Right. It's like, okay, you're you have to brush your teeth like that's a habit that you've already incorporated so maybe when you're brushing your teeth you're looking at the way you're standing in the mirror right and you're opening your chest and as soon as you put the brush down maybe you're taking a few breaths you know that in itself that is also movement like you're moving your lungs you're moving your diaphragm so that you're inviting now movement into your day so maybe you're just doing that for 30 seconds so then there's no real excuse for it because you're stacking it with something that you already have to do. Yeah, I've done calf raises while I brush my teeth. Yeah, I do this when I'm cooking sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's not because I like I feel like I'm getting a workout. It's just yeah. you just you're, you're you're just yeah. yeah. And, and I find that sometimes brushing your teeth, it's easy to wander and think about you know all the bad things you do or something. Yeah, and well, like one of the biggest complaints I think people have, like especially like you know perimenopause and like this stage is like oh I just feel so stiff all the time, my joints are hurting, yeah. like, there's just pain. And like I've realized I can't not move in the morning. Yeah. So those days, even like on the weekends, you know, I don't get up and like do a workout or anything like that, but I want to move, I want to at least stretch a little bit and create some sort of space in my body. And there'd be so many things that could shift in our body and our mind if we would just like recognize that, like how much of a gift movement is. Yeah. And I think like as parents too, part of you know, say the weekend as well is, is creating time within the family to go do something active together, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Uh, we mentioned last time when we went on this crazy long bike ride, which I think totals around 35 some odd kilometers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, close to 40 kilometers, which is a huge stretch. But, but the idea there is like stacking a family activity with something yeah. active and then you have these bigger, more vigorous sort of active activities that you do with your family on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be in the case yeah. of say parents. So what are the hormones that are getting activated when you're exercising? Yeah, well, I mean, the big one being a testosterone. I mean, you're, if you're exercising too long, we mentioned in the last podcast, we talked about activating cortisol and some of our stress hormones. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I mean, you're, I would imagine too, estrogen, progesterone, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you're initiating this, this release of dopamine because you're getting reward, you're feeling good for doing it, you're feeling good being outside. And so a lot of these hormonal uh, adaptations are, are showing up for you. Yeah. Can you maybe speak to, because we often talk about like fasting and working out and testosterone, but yeah. there's also this BDNF component too, yeah. to like neuronal and hormonal health and exercise. Yeah. So BDNF, brain drive, neurotropic factor, especially in novel situations or we're, we're pushing ourselves in unique kind of ways. Uh, we like new environments, new, like even going for a bike ride, a long one, which you haven't done in a while, or maybe trying out a new exercise class or, you know, ch pushing yourself a little bit further on a run than what you're used to. All of these things where we're pushing beyond what's normal and comfortable for us, we get these extra hits of these growth factors. And obviously growth hormone can rise too. And, you know, in, Exercise is wonderful and it's also like how we prepare ourselves for exercise is important too. So if we're metabolically unfit, meaning we can't go the more than an hour or two without food, putting food in our body, you know, that's part of this mechanism too, is that training um, that metabolic muscle and time away from food 
But then also as we strengthen our muscles and we start to maybe push more weight or challenge our body in new kind of kinds of ways, we build our capacity to store glucose in the form of glycogen in our muscle. And this is super important because, you know, when I think of what's the end product of glucose or energy, it's really, we need a place to use it efficiently, mm -hmm. but we also need a really efficient way to store it. But if we're storing it in the form of triglycerides because we've got fatty liver and we've got unhealthy insulin secretions and we're storing glucose in a really inefficient kind of way. But if we're building our muscle and we're stimulating the growth hormone and the testosterone, all these other factors, we're actually building the size of our muscle, but we're also increasing the storage of glycogen, meaning we're way more efficient at using glucose. And so I think of, you know, part of the, you know, we started this conversation on mental health and this part of the understanding of like feeling depressive or, or not feeling like yourself, you know, really what we're doing with movement is, is improving like our batteries within our body so that mm -hmm. we've got batteries that can charge more effectively, that hold more energy, and then can be used more effectively to move us through our day, which means that we've got energy left over to feel happy or energy left over to make the right decisions with our food or or the bandwidth to be able to still be present with your your partner and your family mm -hmm. because you've you've built those batteries and that yeah. happens through movement yeah right? so like just looking at those two states say, say we look at depression and anxiety as states of different energies so with mm -hmm. depression there's less energy in the brain that's being utilized efficiently whereas with maybe anxiety it's being used in maybe inappropriate ways where the brain can't actually access it so that it's nourishing it but instead it's like wired in a different way perhaps yeah 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 that's a great way of looking at it and i think that um you know i, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of a story of, of, a, mm -hmm. of a patient that we came in and you know this patient was just doing great things as far as his career like making good money and and all that kind of thing uh, i mean i guess that was like the biggest win in his life was was the career was going well but his health was being sacrificed. His future for his kids was being sacrificed because he didn't have the health to be to make it to, you know, potentially not be able to have the health to make it to be in his 40s and have lots of energy to play with his kids and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, he saw the, the complications of unhealthy lifestyle, you know, playing out in his parents and whatnot. And when we ran his blood work, his testosterone was completely tanked. Uh, his insulin was through the roof, vitamin D was low, like all these markers that we see on so many people are stuck in inflammation, they're insulin resistant, they're not accessing their, their energy efficiently, so, the, so aka they're metabolically unfit, um, and then their mood is massively affected. So when we showed this gentleman his blood work, he nearly broke down and cried because he was fearful for the, the future. And, and obviously our goal isn't to strike fear in our, in our patients, but it's to paint this picture of like, there's all these different points that you're, you're not connecting with your health and it's making a tremendous impact on your energy, how you show up, how you feel physically, how you feel about how you feel physically, you know, what your future looks like, you know, even, even down to fertility, like we spoke about a few, a few weeks ago. So this is the reality that, I'd say 95% of our patient load is in, is they're in that state where they can't access their hormones. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So then what was his trajectory and story? Yeah. So, you know, within a, within a few months of rewriting the story, getting back into exercise, building those battery packs, you know, so he has more efficiency to use glucose, changing the way he eats and learning how to implement a more restricted time window for eating, not just being on the seafood diet. Um, changing his relationship to his body also, like understanding that, 
you can be prideful about how your body looks, but also be willing to do the, the work that it requires to take care of it. And then the, the benefit is the energy. It's like when we do all these things, we feel more vibrant. Mm -hmm. And then most of his blood markers, if not all of them were, were, I mean, all of his blood markers improved, but he got out of these massively deficient states, massive in, insulin resistant states, which were keeping him on this sort of roller coaster ride of not feeling in control, not feeling freedom in his body, mm -hmm. right? And that's, I mean, that's one of the first things I feel like we do uh, with every person is to help them see where they are and then, you know, through practice, application, learning, you know, uh, and experiencing, there's this whole new life that's available, mm -hmm. right? And that happens through, you know, addressing the, the hormones, but also all of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So similar stories for you, is anything anything that comes to mind for um, patients stuck in that sort of hormonally resistant state where they're stuck in apathy or depression or where, what are some of the things that maybe that you, you would talk to patients about to help get them out of that state? Yeah, so the first one, like I said before, would be the habit stacking. So bringing that element in and then the deservance piece is a big one for women. So if it's like a busy mom that is also working and having to navigate the household, the, the meals and everything can feel really overwhelming. Like, well, I have to stack this one more thing into my yeah. day, even though we know, like we talked about, if we have patience with it, we can get these results long term and have more energy for the kids and have more energy for um, the career or whatever it is that you're doing to serve your creativity. So what has to happen, it's like you have to kind of work on all the different angles. So bringing in some of that movement, uh, bringing in realization that um, without you taking care of you, the whole unit will crumble. So bringing that awareness back and then getting her feeling a little bit better. So. I'll bring in some like IV therapy or nutrients that are going to start really nourishing her so she gets glimpses of this other way of being. Because when you're stuck in that state of um, depression or stuck in a state of lack of motivation, it's hard to know there could be another way. So if they can even just get like little glimpses of it throughout the day and be like, oh, okay, this actually feels really good. But unfortunately, what happens is people get glimpses of it. They're like, oh, now I can do all these things. Yeah. Instead of just feeling into it and be like, okay, I'm going to use that energy now to heal, mm -hmm. not do more, but actually understand myself a little bit more and bring in more habits or bring in some other tools that will support me. So hopefully they start doing that. And as they do start doing that, then things really start to shift more for the long term. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because, I mean, especially even with IV therapy, there are, there's a lot of things, hyperbaric, there's a lot of things that can change the state. Yeah, sometimes even instantly. Exactly. And then it's like, okay, perfect. Now I can like pull an all-nighter. Now I can yeah. do all these things. And that's not yeah. really the goal here. Yeah. It's like we want to increase the reserves and we want to allow testosterone to rise because now we're still, if we start doing more again, we're still like stuck in that cortisol state. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like we, we sort of hack that, you know, socially, we hack that with caffeine in the morning. Great, I've got yeah. more energy and get more done. And then we do that every day and then we really burn ourselves out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, or we do at night, I, I need something to help me relax. So obviously it's alcohol, so we, we use that and yeah. allow us to relax at night. And meanwhile, we're, we're constantly taking energy from tomorrow to use for today. Mm -hmm. And you know, having an effect on that insulin load, which is gonna affect the rest of our hormones. And so we, there's like this version of us that shows up, but not this version of ourselves that has a plethora of energy, that has reserve, that has a focus on recovery. Mm -hmm. And really that leads to more and more depletion and more of the mm -hmm. same, right? Mm -hmm. So I love how you mentioned, you know, when you've got 
this nourishment back in your body to heal, great. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. Push it harder or, you know, slowly, you know, habit stack or bring other things in there that are going to support that nourishment. Yeah. Like how many times do we see a hormone test and like cortisol is flatlined, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And they can't even access their stress hormones, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, so that those stages of adrenal fatigue that I think we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. It's like in the beginning, you may have more energy because there's more capacity to access that cortisol and that adrenaline. And then eventually, it's hard to get out of bed. Eventually, it's hard to even feel motivated because cortisol also is important yeah. in motivation. And if we don't have enough of it, we won't have that drive during the day. Yeah, and we, so we talked about the triad of the three problematic hormones that when not or when unmanaged, they can get out of control. So it's estrogen, insulin, and, and cortisol, cortisol yeah. right? So uh, let's shift gears. We're gonna talk a little bit about something we haven't really talked about in great detail, and that's, okay, so we, we discussed some natural solutions for mm -hmm. optimizing testosterone last time. Uh, we, when we throw that in here or there, but what if someone was to actually implement testosterone replacement therapy into their program? Right. So can women do this, mm -hmm. first of all? Mm -hmm. And then I'll talk a little bit about what it, what it looks like mm -hmm. for men, but. Let's hear yeah. it from the woman's side. Yeah, so before giving testosterone, I always go back to testing. Mm -hmm. So doing their Dutch test to see how it's actually being converted. Is it going into estrogen? So it won't matter if I give a woman testosterone, she's not going to convert it properly. Looking at her SHBG scores on her blood work to see if, again, if we give her testosterone and it's free, is it just going to get bound up and not being used? So looking at those elements, I think, first are really important before giving testosterone. And yes, I've given many women testosterone. Really small doses can go really, really far. And there are some that just swear by it. Like my libido changed, my, my perception of myself started to change. I just feel more motivated about life. I don't feel so apathetic anymore. So really, they start to notice that, okay, this hormone is really important. And then while they're feeling that way, we'll start implementing all the other things. Okay, now we're detoxing, now we're looking at your gut, we're looking at your stress levels, your nervous system, doing all of that work. So she, one, she doesn't have to stay on it long-term. And two, then she starts to realize how important these hormones are. So then her life will then just start to nourish and feel the hormones. Yeah, I, I love the hearing just the feedback from people when that hormone is adopted back in through, yeah. through uh, replacement therapy. Um, or we like to say optimization therapy. It's not yeah. we don't it's not just about replacing hormones Like how do we use this as a vehicle for optimization? Yeah, and that's where dosing is so important oh, Right, so totally. it can like vary depending on the practitioner you talked to but we just look at like physiological dosing to get you feeling good yeah. Depending on what your goals are too and how long you're gonna use it how yeah. you're using it Like I mostly do creams. I know many that do like patches and things like that, too yeah. So there's different ways. Yeah. Know? Yeah, so women it's usually cream, right? Yeah, but there there is definitely there's a lot of practitioners out there um they would be using it in the in a pellet form mm -hmm. um and uh as far as yeah the cream goes that, that's, that's a typical application it could be transdermal it could be perivaginal mm -hmm. uh that would be the, the common situation for women and then men typically is injection but it could also be a cream cream could be applied daily mm -hmm. but it could also be uh something that you would use as an injection but here's the thing is like wherever possible, you want to mimic that natural release that the body is doing. And so, you know, 
maybe in the past it was like just big doses give yourself big doses and then you know so you can dose less frequently and it's more convenient for you but it turns out that by far it's it's much more beneficial to be doing a, a dose that more mimics your body's natural rhythm and so that would be if you're doing injection maybe it's twice a week maybe it's three four times a week i have some men who do it every other day mm -hmm. but in a fraction of that that total dose and this is so powerful because, you know, everything you said with regards to mood and sense of vitality and desire for exercise and movement and libido and desire for intimacy and connection, it goes a long way. And when done in that optimal therapeutic range, we're not worried about things like, you know, cancers or hypertension or this massive overwhelm of aggression or increased conversion into mm -hmm. estrogen. I do have some women that get a little bit of chinny chin hair. Okay, so talk about that. And um, yeah. they don't care. Right, because <laughs> they feel so good. Because they feel so good, so yeah. they'll, they'll puck it away. But then like we're obviously testing and making sure that we're converting it properly. It's not stepping into this like androgenic state where they're gonna start then losing yeah. their hair um, on their, their scalp. And so you constantly are monitoring to see it's working well. And if all of that is okay and they're getting one or two, they don't, they don't mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's important. Um, How do you know with men if they're getting too much? Yeah. I mean, usually we're looking at blood work, right? So we're yeah. looking to see how much that conversion into estrogen happens. Because anytime you give, especially, and this is why we like to increase the frequency of dosing, instead of getting this huge surge of testosterone, this huge conversion into estrogen. Um, but that's one of the markers we look at is, is there, are you getting too much conversion into that estrogen, which can lead right. to different symptoms. And it's normal for our, our body to have uh, estrogen as well when it comes to men. Mm -hmm. And historically it would have been like, okay, block testosterone. So there's a lot of discussion around aromatase inhibitors. Block estrogen, you mean? Oh, sorry, block estrogen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the, the use of prescription aromatase inhibitors but the more that I learn about it, the more that, that we see um, is that there, there can be disastrous effects to blocking things in the body, right? right? Yeah. And so, you know, whereas maybe it was recommended before, I, I never give them to men or I never recommend them for men anymore. Um, and for the reason of when you shut down systems, we don't know all the deleterious effects. Now, typically they're really small doses. But still, I don't like the idea of blocking things in the mm -hmm. body. And it turns out with diet, exercise, and all the other things that we were discussing, you can make someone much more efficient at that metabolism of the yeah. hormone. And that's yeah. where like testing comes into yeah. play. And what women actually don't realize, if they've ever been on birth control, they've been taking hormone like testosterone yeah. for a long time. Because a lot of the birth control is actually made from testosterone. Even though they're estrogen and progesterone pills, yeah. um, they don't realize that those pills are actually blocking their testosterone receptors because hmm. of how closely they are related to testosterone. So they've been taking testosterone therapy, probably a big chunk of their reproductive life. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's interesting too, because that also rises, raised in most women causes SHBG to rise. To up, yeah. So it's not funny, you're taking this testosterone-like molecule, but also blocking the ability of your mm -hmm. body to use natural testosterone. Well, that's why many of them will have lower libido yeah. on birth control. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it just goes because we're talking about bioidentical hormones, and I think we have to make that clear too. We're talking about bioidentical, not synthetic. Is that there's sometimes hesitancy, mm -hmm. but not realizing well, if you've been on birth control, you've been taking yeah. a form of exogenous hormone for a big chunk. For a big chunk of your life, mm -hmm. like probably more than what most people would be on as a, like for an optimization yeah. therapy for mm -hmm. bioidentical. Yeah, that's that's tremendous. Mm -hmm. So uh, the last one would be HCG, so human chorionic gonadotropin. That's often used in a, in a man's hormone plan because it helps to stimulate uh, luteinizing hormone from the brain to tell the testes to make more testosterone. 
the main reason in my practice that we might use that would be to help to just stimulate testes, uh, uh, test nor normal natural testicular growth through through getting the, the luteinizing hormone secretion. Mm -hmm. It's not really used a whole lot mm -hmm. in like an optimization strategy for women. No, I don't think I've ever used it. Yeah. yeah, and it's also obviously gotten a lot of popularity from a weight loss point of view. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? I have never used it for weight loss, okay. so I have nothing to say. Yeah, we don't use it a ton, but we'll, we know the protocol. Yeah. And the main reason is because just like in a pregnant woman, you're going to be more efficient at delivering fats right. and whatnot to the, to the fetus or the developing baby. So when taken as a tool for weight loss, a small dose is taken every day. It can just make you more fat uh, efficient or fat mm -hmm. energy efficient. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. People can do a caloric restricted diet using HCG. Anyways, mm -hmm. it's kind of sort of it's beyond a whole other topic. Whole other yeah. topic, but it, just to 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 let people know that there are different ways to use these things. Yeah. And you know, if you've got, if you're even considering it, you got to get tested first. Mm -hmm. You you would you know we definitely don't recommend people just to you know go onto the internet and find their own sources. You need to work with somebody. This is really important stuff. Uh, you want to be able to look at the whole picture. Yeah. It's not even just looking at the hormones. Like the hormones are just one way to, to manage or support someone going through the therapy. Yeah. But it's like, what is that hormonal system doing in the context of everything else? Your inflammatory yeah. markers, your liver enzymes, your even from a physical exam, like how's yeah. your blood pressure? You know, mm -hmm. how's how like is there any signs of hypertension? Mm -hmm. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it has to be a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially because um, like here in Canada, it's not as accessible when it comes to hormones. You have to work with a practitioner. Whereas I know in the U.S., there's been patients that um, will drive across the board and they're like, oh, I got some DHEA and now I'm taking yeah. 25 milligrams or 75 milligrams, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, back away from that. Yeah. And you know they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I did that because it totally went off of the protocol, and then yeah. they're getting these other symptoms now. And so it's so important to work with somebody because it's such an art when it comes to bioidentical hormones and how they're working together and, and monitoring because a change in life or a circumstance or a stress or something will change how they are working in your body too. So it's important to have someone you can speak with. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. And that sort of ties this conversation back to where we started, right? And that is that, you know, these life circumstances that are constantly being thrown at us, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we can feel a certain way when we're on a therapy and then it's kind of like, we, we might go, well, the therapy's not working anymore, but right. we need to always pay attention to what's happening to us on a daily basis and how much our nervous system is impacting our energy, our mood, yeah. our cravings, you know, our, our relationships. Yeah. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, it's always, you know, holistic point of view. How do you most, you know, inclusively address all these different aspects of your body? And then also know that there's this, this part of medicine, which is time. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes we need a little extra nourishment and time to go through this period. And maybe it, it's important that our body has less energy. Yeah. You know, so that we can work on that emotional stuff uh, while, we're, while we're working on our physical vehicle. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, any sort of last words on... Yeah. Well, a big theme that came up this past week when I was with my girlfriends was um, space. So it's like giving yourself space to feel into what your body's actually telling you. And then when you're doing a treatment like this, so say you go on testosterone, you go on hormones, like giving them space to adapt to the, your environment and also giving your body time to adapt to them because it's that instant desire to like feel good right away or like we talked about before feeling good and then doing the same habits or doing doing more isn't mm -hmm. going to allow for you to actually start to get to know 
when you know stuff shows up in your life like different stressors or a loss or something then all of a sudden you're feeling like maybe worse than you did before but recognizing when things are happening in our outside world that we're being impacted and then those hormones are just responding and reacting and so even if you're taking bioidentical hormones you're still human and you're still going to be responding and reacting mm -hmm. so you may you're going to have ups and downs and all of that so just recognizing that it's all part of that process. Yeah, one one last thing that makes me think of what you shared just even being with your girlfriends on the weekend is that it's it's isn't it interesting that that when we spend time with certain types of people, we can take our problems and magnify them. We yeah. can make the, they can become so much worse because the the sounding board that's around you is one that's keeping or literally magnifying the stress that you're feeling. But you had an experience this weekend where you're around this nurturing group of women that were elevating, helping you transmute, mm -hmm. helping you to, to challenge maybe even the things you think about yourself, mm -hmm. helping you face your fears, your worries, your, your disagreements with yourself and transform that. And that happens yeah. in that, that sense of community yeah. where you can actually you know, change your state, like yeah. we talked about, and and realize that there's more to you than what you than what you've you know noticed. Mm -hmm. And so, that idea of community and and how you show up in that community, but also looking for how you're listening and hearing messages and and how much you're believing those messages mm -hmm. has a tremendous impact. But I thought maybe you could just talk a, a little bit about that that elevating energy of a space that's really nurturing. Yeah, because something. But also allows you to see, hey, you're not paying attention to that. That piece, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. you need to look at that, Sonia. Right? Yeah, like we talked a lot about polarities over the weekend and how like that needs to happen in order for us to transform anything. Like we need to like a symptom, for example, does that for us. Mm -hmm. It makes us aware that there's something that we're doing or something that we're believing and thinking that's creating this discomfort. So same with like a belief that we have about ourselves or a story that we've been carrying for a long period of time does the same thing. So when you start to recognize and see that then there's an opportunity to like, yeah, either sit with somebody that will, you know, say the same things and be like, yeah, of course, you know, gonna, and then keep you stuck there or sitting with somebody that says, one, you're not alone. I'm here with you and we can walk this together side by side. And two, do you realize how powerful you are and that you can transform anything in your life? And something that I have always worked on that I think is contrast to my sadness and depression that shows up is contentment. Like I don't feel content a lot because of my pattern of not enough. And I was only out there for two nights and it felt kind of fast and whatever, but I felt leaving content. Like yesterday when you said, oh, does mm -hmm. it feel weird being in that space? Now you're like in life again. Your mom life in the mom, mom world again. Yeah. Instantly, because yeah. it's, you know, it's Kain's birthday. Now we're like going to a soccer game. It was like instant airport to, mm -hmm. to mom life. And it was the first time I feel like I've come back from something feeling like, oh no, I'm, I'm content. Mm. So then my response to that change or that pivoting I had to do was okay. It wasn't this like, oh, I wish I had more time. I wish I had this. I wish I did. It w I didn't have any of that. And I think that comes from being in a space where you can share what needs to be shared. You can increase your oxytocin. So mm -hmm. then that increases all of the other hormones and just feeling really grounded in that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if this <laughs> goes with anything that we talked well, about Well, it, it does because it has yeah. to do with <clears throat> how we're perceiving ourselves. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, but also this idea of delayed gratification too. Yes. In the yeah. sense that, 
you know, sometimes we just need to hear the things that we're speaking to ourselves yeah. through, you know, someone else's perspective mm -hmm. so that we can then, you know, get to that end goal, whatever yeah. that may be in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah, right. like you might be someone that feels tired all the time. And then if you're speaking to others that are also feeling tired all the time, which, you know, I think it can, it feels familiar and it feel, you feel um, validated yeah. for how you're feeling. But if neither individual is also seeing like what's on the other side of that, then it's hard to like pick yourself up from it. It's almost like misery likes company. Yeah. Right. So exactly. if you can like surround ourselves with people that can sit in the shit with you, mm -hmm. but then also help you like, expand from that turn into fertilizer turn into fertilizer yeah yeah that's it <laughs> yeah and one last thing i'd like to say on that is that let's say that you're in a community that's that's just not like that yeah. well how can you be that for someone else yeah and that's just another way to look at it right yeah because another way to create that community is the books you read mm -hmm. the the things that you listen to what you watch like you can start there with yourself and then from that you start attracting people that all of a sudden if you're thinking about taking testosterone you're going to hear yeah. about testosterone everywhere around you yeah yeah exactly okay so that's the task for you is to you know, pay attention to things that are holding us back. Like mm -hmm. look at, look at, you know, be willing to look at those dark aspects of ourselves that we've sort of mm -hmm. not wanted to pay attention to. Um, I mean, that's everything that's in Sonia's book too. So Woman Unleashed. And there's a part two coming in next year sometime. Mm, in no, 2025. 20, 2025. <laughs> okay. So there's part two that's being worked on yes. currently and it will be developing, uh, developed and released into 2025. So uh, with that being said, these are the conversations that we love to have with one another, with you guys tuning and listening. Uh, we'd love to have more of them with you. So please feel free to join our Health Ignited Club where we dive into this content in much more detail and have a round table discussion around what's coming up for us on a daily basis. So uh, thank you again and thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.